Welcome to Cohort 21's face-to-face session. Well, not actually. We are a podcast and not being face-to-face is kind of the whole thing. But this is the first of a two-part episode where we talk to teachers about their action plans. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Today, I share with you two conversations I had with Mary Ellen Wilcox, a middle school science teacher and STEAM coordinator at Rothstein Netherwood School in New Brunswick. The first conversation we had was in November of 2018, and this was Cohort 21's second face-to-face session. I stole Mary Ellen away for a quick conversation to capture a moment in her thinking about a current problem, dilemma, or challenge she was experiencing. This whole day of learning for educators uses design thinking protocols to better understand what is actually happening in our school so that we can design an action plan that will have a meaningful impact on students and learning. When Mary Ellen and I sat down and recorded, she was just in the process of coming up with a guiding question that would help her navigate her learning for this year. We call this the how might we question and it is the bedrock of good design. I love that it involves the word we, reminding us that we can't do this alone. I also love that it uses the word might, which suggests that there isn't one right way. Getting behind the right how might we question is everything. And this first conversation with Mary Ellen unpacks this challenge for one person. Okay, so I'm going to start. Okay. Uh, thanks for agreeing to be recorded today. Why don't we just do a quick warm-up and you say who you are, where you teach, and what you do. So my name is Mary Ellen Wilcox. I'm currently teaching at Rossi Netherwood School, and I teach middle school science and am their STEAM coordinator. So that's kind of a new role that does a whole bunch of everything. <laughs> Awesome. And we're sitting and talking during the second face-to-face session, and this is all about design thinking. So I pulled you into this little room with your big sheet of paper with a bunch of questions on it. Um, What are the questions that you are the most drawn to so far in your practice that you want to explore this year? So I'm looking at, I think, resilience in students. I'm not 100% solidified into how that idea is going to come out yet because I've got several sub questions but one of the ones that I'm really curious about and I think it encompasses all of the other questions is developing confidence in students themselves because mm-hmm. I think if I can help them develop confidence in themselves then they're better able to take feedback they're better able to grow they're better able to reattempt. they can um, find a better life balance and, and be aware of themselves and their needs And so it kind of keeps coming back to that one as my main with a whole bunch of subsets and and smaller questions Mm -hmm. to kind of guide me and help get there. How did you word the question on your sheet? Like, that's a pretty big, juicy thing. How did you capture that in one sentence? I didn't. It's actually like (laughs) 10. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Yeah. So something around how might we develop? So the question itself, I guess, for the main one is how might we encourage students to develop confidence in themselves? Mm. And I put encourage because I don't think I can give it to them. I don't think I can teach them all of everything because that confidence will be different for each student based on their strengths and how they get there will be a different journey for each student. So it's just encouraging Mm. them along that journey. And tell us a little bit about the background behind that question. Like, what have you noticed this year in your practice, or what have you noticed in previous years? Like, where does that question stem from? That question stems from 
me asking teachers and students about what I thought would be my question and mm. realizing in actuality there was another question that was kind of underneath all of the feedback that needed to be addressed. Mm. So I originally wanted to look at creativity in the classroom and being able to offer more choice and being able to offer more collaboration. And a lot of teachers were saying, well, in order to do that, they need skills X, Y, and Z, and they all kept coming back to resiliency. So then I was looking at resiliency and thinking originally about planners and schedules and keeping track of their stuff and kind of being able to self-manage. And then I was thinking, well, from there, it kind of developed into well, they need to be able to take feedback and they need to be able to work in a group because if I'm going to offer creativity and group work, they need to learn those group norms. And mm. that comes back to having confidence, right. <laughs> which comes back. And it just kind of cycles and cycles into this beautiful spiral. And it's as soon as you think about one thing, you need to start thinking about all 10 things that feed into it. And I think confidence feeds into all of those. It's like the seed <laughs> that everything else is going to blossom from. Yeah, nicely put. Yeah, that's I, really cool. And I think with middle school students, particularly, confidence in that tween space is something that perhaps they need a little bit more focus on and we don't give it enough in our academics. This thoughtful dance that you can see Mary Ellen engage in around the maypole of dilemmas and challenges is exactly what we hope for from teachers. She is careful, she is thoughtful, and she's spending a tremendous amount of energy ensuring that she has the right how might we question. The next time I connected with Mary Ellen, two months had rolled by, which in the world of education is really like two years and some change. In the span of time between the two sessions, we had gone through report cards, winter concerts, final class parties of the term, our December breaks with our families, the return to school after the holiday, and probably a handful of assessments thrown in there somewhere too. So the next clip, notice how Mary Ellen's thinking has evolved and how much more clear she is on how she wants to narrow in on her focus for this year. It is so obvious that Mary Ellen was behind the right question back in November, but this new conversation reveals how zooming in on one aspect of confidence and resiliency is the key to her making this action plan much more manageable. When I stole Mary Ellen from the rest of the group, they were just about to start a protocol called the five whys. And Mary Ellen was gracious enough to let me run the protocol with her and record it for this episode. Uh, let's start by just telling everyone what is your, how might we question that you're guiding your research this year with? After several times of thinking about this and kind of having feedback from others, I settled on how might we use peer-to-peer -peer feedback to create a culture of confidence as a way to enhance resilience among middle school students. Yes. Which really kind of comes down to, I want them to be resilient and then choosing one aspect of resiliency, which is receiving feedback. And mm -hmm. if I can just focus on that this year with my students, then maybe we can get somewhere along the path to being truly resilient. Capital R, resiliency. But I think that there's a lot of wisdom in the way you've crafted that question because you've narrowed it down to something manageable for yourself this year. It's not just, how do I make my students more resilient? It's much more specific. So we're going to now do a little routine that the rest of the cohort is doing in the big room. And I've just stolen you right now. I'm like, can we do this together for the podcast? So thank you for playing along with me. 
we're going to do uh, the five whys protocol. So you're going to tell me uh, your action plan, like what you want to do, and I am just going to be uh, a friendly pest and ask you why after every statement you make. So it will get annoying and it'll get irritating. No, I have a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know. Um, and then hopefully by the end of those five whys, the idea is that you have a, a deeper sense of why this work is important. Uh, because we're all going to come across colleagues or parents or students who essentially do this for us, do this to us. Okay, so why don't you start just by restating uh, what you want to do this year in your action research. So leading from the how might we question, I decided to use peer-to-peer -peer feedback on some assignments I had the students doing. So what we had done is they had to create a lab report where they created the lab themselves. So they created the protocol, they created their hypotheses, they decided on their equipment that they needed to use. Did the, the experiment, collected the data, analyzed the data, and created a conclusion. And so this whole thing kind of came from them. There were guiding questions and topics on which they could do safely in middle school. I don't let them just do anything. But um, from that, they had to then um, write a lab report. And we've been writing lab reports together as a group all year. And so this was their first kind of fledgling on their own. They took it from hypothesis right through to conclusion. And I had the students um, write their reports and hand them in, and I wasn't happy with them. They, they'd shown that they were capable of a lot more in class than what they had produced to hand in. So rather than mark them and give everyone grades that they weren't satisfied with and I wasn't satisfied with, I printed the rubric and I gave them back to them and asked them to mark each other's uh, lab reports based on the rubric and they had to give each other three things they thought they were doing really well, three things they needed to improve on, and then they had the rubric as well. I encourage the students to highlight anywhere on the rubric they saw things. So on my rubric often things are in the level four but also in the level five, often in the level six as well. So they were able to highlight it in the level four, five, and six categories so nobody felt like their sheet was empty and not didn't have any highlighting on it, even if it was only they met one criteria just at all of the levels. And then the students had to take that um, assignment and take the feedback and they had one class period to kind of revise and, and edit and add to and then they had about a week after that before the final copy was due. So I gave them one class period plus about a week of time. And they handed them back in and they had to hand in their original lab report, the rubric their, their friend or, or peer had marked for them and they had to hand in the new copy of their lab report. And the difference was astounding. It was incredible. I was actually marking them on a boat on a way to a robotics competition, and I was dancing on the boat, and I was like showing my colleague who had come with me, like, look at this lab report version one, look at this lab report version two. And the next day I went to see my head of department, it was like, look at these. And he's like, my grade 10s don't give me lab reports like that. And I was mm. like, this is, this is where I want them to be. Like, if my grade eight kids can do this, like, imagine what they can do when they're your grade 10 kids and like how much more can we push them. Um, so a lot of that is kind of where that activity led to. Then we had Christmas break. It was a nice time to reflect. And I think going back, the first time I had the students do this on their, like with a friend that they had picked or with someone they were comfortable receiving feedback from. And I think my next steps would be to push them so that I pair them up based on students who I think have strengths 
that complement the areas of growth for the other students so mm. that they can really find spaces where collaboratively they can grow together. But that requires me to really sit down and think about my students and their strengths and who can help who in ways that they need to be helped right now to grow. I love it. I'm going to start asking you why many times now. So let's start with <laughs> why do you think it's important to build resiliency through peer-to-peer feedback? I think peer-to-peer feedback and resiliency are a lifelong skill. I think about myself as a teacher. I have other teachers coming into my room. I have my head of school coming into my room. I have outside organizations coming into my room looking at what we're doing and how we're teaching. And when they come in, I often ask them, like, how did it go? What did you think? Is there something I could be doing better? Are there things that mm-hmm. I um, am doing that maybe I'm not conscious I'm doing? And if nobody ever tells me I can't improve myself, and I think the same thing for my students. Like, if they're going to be a doctor, they're probably going to work in a team of doctors. If they're going to be a teacher, they're going to work with a team of teachers. If they're going to be an astronaut, like, everybody involved there sends them to space. And if you can't take feedback from a peer, especially feedback about performances that aren't excellent, then it's really hard to be a good team player. And that's kind of one of those life skills. Like if you leave school and you can't be a team player, then somewhere along the line, we as a group have failed you. Mm. Why do you think you're focusing on peer-to-peer feedback rather than getting peer feedback from uh, like a teacher or a superior or a mentor? Like why peer-to-peer? Because they're teenagers and they listen to their friends. <laughs> I give them a lot of feedback in class, I give them feedback in conversations, I give them feedback on their written work, and often students will look at a grade and not read the feedback, and this kind of takes the grade and removes the grade from it, and they have to focus on the feedback. It's also a really good motivator because they selfishly want to impress their friends, so they want to have something that's really, really good that they can show their friends, and so they're going to work a little bit harder. And it's nice to have the mentor, it's nice to have the teacher, but those are things they get regularly. They get feedback from coaches, they get feedback from adults in their lives all the time. So let's change it up and give them feedback from someone who they may not receive academic feedback from. So with a friend, they'd receive feedback on clothes and outfits and (laughs) meals and things like that. But how can we leverage those relationships so that they're getting feedback in an academic sense. And mm. not just the person receiving the feedback is growing, but the person doing the, the marking is growing as well because they're looking and they're, they're seeing somebody else's work. They're seeing how somebody else is interpreting things. And they're also seeing the rubric maybe for the first time critically. You know, it's been available to them, but not often after we go through it in class do they look at it during the creation of their own assignments. Mm. And so now they're looking at the rubric and going, oh, gee, I don't think I did that either. Maybe even if the person doesn't point it on mine, I need to go back and and revisit that. Mm. And it also gives them a lot of, like, models. So I can give them a good model from last year and a poor model from last year, and we can talk about what makes it good and what makes it poor. But then you get models in the middle and the kids have to decide. Mm. And that's a really powerful place for growth as well. Oh my God, this is so good. I'm actually finding the five bars really hard right now because I'm like, of course, all this makes sense. Like I don't even have like a why based on what you're saying. It's just so obvious. Like this is such a great way to have students actually produce wonderful, excellent work. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. You're doing awesome stuff. I love how just self-reflective you are. I'm going to go back to um, originally when we talked, like back in the second face-to-face, um, 
you originally were looking at developing confidence and mm-hmm. thinking about resilience as a way to really get at that root thing. Why, why do you think it's important for young people to develop confidence? In much the same way that I think it's important for them to develop the ability to be resilient and to work in a team, I think confidence lets you put yourself out there. And there's something really important about having the confidence to try something or do something that it's powerful. Like if you feel like, you know what, let's just give it a go. Like what's the worst that's going to happen? That's a certain type of confidence and it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people and you need to work on building their confidence especially in middle school there's so many hormones in middle school that take away (laughs) any amount of confidence an elementary school child has like I you know I look at my son often who's three and just like he's willing to give anything a go like all right let's go and and at home we phrase things like do you want to go on an adventure like we're going to the grocery store like let's go on an adventure and try and find like the biggest bag of grapes we can and he's like yes like let's do it this is awesome (laughs) and that kind of goes away a bit and and the students become less confident and they start comparing themselves to social media and they start comparing themselves to other and they become very aware of the world outside of their being and I think that if we can give them back pieces of that confidence earlier on in life because a lot of us find it again in our 20s then maybe that teenage year won't be as hard as it has to be Mm, I love that answer that's beautiful I want to be a student in your class okay I think this is the fifth why okay uh why do you think getting constructive feedback from peers can develop confidence? Could getting, you know, negative feedback from a peer actually work to take away confidence in some way? So how does peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer feedback build confidence? I think for these students in the first go where I let them choose the person they were going to do feedback with. It was very easy to receive negative feedback because the feedback, even though it was the negative feedback, wasn't overly negative because they were giving it to a friend or a person they felt somewhat um, close to or had a relationship with. I think that growing forward, I need to pair them up in ways they can learn from each other. And part of that is so that we can get feedback that isn't the best and work through how do we receive that feedback and how do we learn from it. Because in life, you're not always gonna get nice feedback. That's just part of it. And I think the thing is to build them up with more chips of confidence than we take away so that in the end, the net gain is a confidence. I don't think it's going to be perfect for every student every time, but that there's points where I can step in too and say, yeah, they said that, but look at these things you've done and this is an exemplar or find that piece where, you know what, this is a really tough lab for you, but let's look at how much growth you've had and pull out assignment A from September and then show them that and build that confidence back up. Mm. Again, I don't know if that's the perfect solution, but I also know that not doing anything is not the right <clears throat> way to go. And oh, sure. teenagers have a rap for being mean to each other, but they can also be so genuine and so kind and work really hard to build each other up. And I want to harness that. Mm -hmm. And we try and create safe spaces and safe classes. Um, And we talk a lot about how to give critical feedback. That's not mean. So you can tell somebody something (laughs) in a way that's really mean, but you can also tell them the same thing in a way that makes it so, yes, it, it hurts a little bit to get that feedback, 
but you also can encourage them with ways to grow. So you can't just tell them something sucked. You have to tell them where they need to grow and how to get there. Yeah, I've always been taught be kind, be specific, be helpful in the feedback that you give. I think that's that's so brilliant because if students are going to build authentic confidence, like a, a really deep inner self knowledge of I am worthy, I am good, I am I am I have something to share with the world. Yeah. You have to know the things that you're not good at. Like if you look yeah. at the best leaders in our lives, they will happily list off the things that they're not great at because they've gotten critical feedback before. And I think that's how students develop it by not having, um, I often find this with my grade eight English students that they don't want to just hear the good things. They need to hear the not so great things in order to know how to become better. And I think everybody does. If nobody helps you point out what you're not doing well, you're never going to grow from it because you can look in a mirror all you want, but you don't know what you're projecting when you're not in front of the mirror and that's a really powerful thing to have somebody come back to you and say look like I love that you're doing these things but this also needs a little bit of work and and people are I think genuinely of the desire to better themselves and part of that is having the confidence and and the resiliency to kind of make it through life yeah I, I think this is an amazing action plan for so many reasons but it's something that will inform every aspect of your teaching practice like thinking about confidence building you're looking at peer-to-peer feedback now maybe next year it'll be another kind of way of developing that resilience um but this is this is the most important thing i think we can do with our students because it's so applicable to everything thank you for doing the five whys with me well thank you for having me I really mean it when I say that I wish I could have had Mary Ellen as my science teacher. Her reflectiveness, ability to think critically about her practice, and sheer joy in her students' success make her such an incredible leader in our community. I love how perfectly Mary Ellen modeled how to be vulnerable with her practice and actually learn how to be better through the support of a peer. She clearly walks the walk that she is scaffolding for her young learners. In part two of this episode, we share another before and after for a different Cohort 21 participant to see how another teacher makes sense of design thinking protocols to improve one aspect of their practice. Even if you are not an educator in an Ontario independent school and eligible to participate in Cohort 21, I share these conversations with you to give you a flavor for how teachers can use the power of design thinking, protocols, and peer feedback to develop and grow their practice. You do not need a professional development network to make this kind of thinking happen. In the show notes, I'll include some awesome resources for how you might simulate this kind of experience in your own practice if you are outside of the Cohort 21 umbrella. A big thank you to Mary Ellen Wilcox for her modeling of vulnerability, Sarah Craig for her relentless support of this project, Garth Nichols and Justin Medved for their mentorship and inspiring leadership, Marianne Van Acker for her editorial oversight, and the entire Cohort 21 community for their powerful blend of professional playfulness. Now go and ask some juicy questions, and remember, we are teaching tomorrow.